Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Here's your host, Miles Beacom. Today I'm with David Emery and his grandfather, James Emery, was inducted in 2014 to the South Dakota Hall of Fame. Uh, so welcome today, David, and thanks Thank for you, joining Miles. us. Yeah, I think if you could start with, could you explain what's involved uh, with your grandfather's comprehensive Lakota language and music collection? Sure, the origins of, of his collection really date clear back to when he was a young child, right? In the Indian boarding school days. Uh, forbidden to speak your native language, Lakota, and, and I think as he got older and realized that less and less people were speaking a lot of the traditions and history were oral in those days. They weren't getting recorded, they weren't being written down. And so kind of in the late 40s, early 50s, he decided to purchase a reel-to-reel tape player and record as many songs and stories and language from a whole bunch of different people. A lot of them had been alive in the times of Little Bighorn, Wounded Knee, things like that. And, and really record their stories and those songs and, and things before they were lost. And over the course of, you know, between the 50s all the way through when he died in 1977, he amassed a pretty huge collection of recordings from reservations all over the state and, and frankly even from other reservations outside of the state. Did your grandfather ever share with you why he took the time to do that? Because that that had to be time consuming. Yeah, I mean it was it was time consuming and it also took a huge huge amount of his disposable income. You know, he, he lived pretty modestly and had a recording studio that he'd saved for every piece of equipment in his basement um, and devoted most of his free time to to the collection and I, you know, I think it was a passion for making sure that the history and things that he learned as a child would be preserved in the language. And you had the opportunity to go with him on some of the tapings as well. Can you share some of the stories? Yeah, I mean, my, you know, everywhere you went with my grandfather, any place, reservations, powwows, even meetings um, in English, a lot of times he just took his recorder because there might be something worth having, right? And a lot of times he just erase them and start over, but um, he, he was always recording things. Kind of pre my time, um, he used to have a portable generator he pulled behind his car because a lot of the places he went to on the reservation didn't have electricity yet. And so he would run his real player with the generator on the back of his car. But when I was around, I mean, he had his reel to reel players, but by then they'd started having some cassettes and he used those a little bit as well. But he recorded everything. And sometimes he would do intros to what they were at the beginning of the tape, a lot of times he wouldn't. Um, so, you know, then he would go home and listen and maybe record them again or, or narrate them or, or not. It just really depended on, on how things went for him. Yeah, his, his passion uh, is just amazing. And, and David, uh, did he ever share with you, did somebody ask him to start this kind of this passion of his or do you know how he got started with it? Not, it's not to my knowledge. Again, I, the story I always heard was, you know, he, he grew up bilingual. He grew up in a house, basically he was raised by his grandparents very traditionally uh, for Lakota people to be raised that way. He was the first son in his family, so all the oral traditions were passed on to him by his grandmother, 
who was a Lakota speaker. His, his grandfather was uh, Gaelic, actually, Irish, and grew up speaking both languages and all the oral traditions, the passing on of the stories. His grandmother was at both Wounded Knee and Little Bighorn. All of those stories and, and things really were what led him to just say, I want this preserved. Because with the boarding schools, with the other things that were prohibiting people from speaking Lakota, practicing religion, those sorts of things, a lot of that was being lost. And he just said, you know, someone has to record these people before they die because they couldn't write, they couldn't read, and they spoke Lakota almost exclusively for a lot of them, at least in the 50s. And so it was really something he just felt like needed to be preserved for, for the people. Yeah. When you look back now, I just think it's amazing the foresight that your grandfather had to, to be able to preserve these stories. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's one of the reasons the South Dakota Hall of Fame is digitalizing them so that others can see and hear them as well. Um, your father then preserved everything that your grandfather had done. Can you share, because a lot of times things are in one generation, they, they stop there. But the passion from your father to take care of everything that your grandfather had done is amazing. And then you to take care, take it that next step. But if you could share with your father, Jim. Yeah, it's really interesting because my grandpa died in 1977. And between my dad and, and his siblings, they could not agree, frankly, on where to put the collection of tapes. And lo very long story short, in about a five or six year story, um, they ended up at Black Hill State in the Indian Studies Department there. And you know, when they had some turnover and leadership and everything in that department, basically those tapes sat there largely untouched for 30 years, which was, to my dad, a tragedy. Yes. Right? His dad had spent much of his life gathering all these stories and songs and other things and they were just sitting there, which defeats the purpose of the whole thing. So way back in you know, the 2000s, early 2000s, my dad had a conversation with Ruth at Crazy Horse and Ruth wanted a copy of those tapes. And so he made her a deal basically where if she had someone on her staff, which she did, who could convert all those tapes to digital, she could have a copy. And so that's what happened. And it took a couple of years to do that. And then at the end of that, um, my dad had a set of CDs and Crazy Horse had a set of CDs, but Crazy Horse had a machine that could replicate like nine CDs at a time from one. And so my dad sat up there for months and copied them nine times and then gave them to all of the tribal colleges and University of South Dakota, which grandfather taught. Black Hill State and other places. Again, the intent is to have as many people utilize them as possible. And so that was really his passion is to just see his, in his mind, I think it was seeing his dad's work go to waste. And you know, if he could do something about it, he was gonna get it done in his lifetime. And I, after like a 30 plus year intermission, if you will, where they really weren't utilized at all, we finally got them distributed in a lot of different places, which is awesome. I wasn't aware of your father's passion uh, to really get the copies out there and over to the mm -hmm. uh, universities, and, and that that's amazing too because that took a lot of time. Oh yeah. And, and so you're a young man, you're going with your grandfather out to hear some of these incredible stories, 
and then they're sitting there and then you see your father take it to the next level what do you think when you're you're thinking all the time that your grandfather spent with it all the time that your father now is spending with it well i i think it's fantastic that he did something with them i mean the first four years we had those tapes they were in two massive like steamer trunks and they sat in my bedroom <laughs> for all through high school and and I listened to most of them over that period of time and we had my grandpa's old reel-to-reel players there as well and so you know it was certainly something I was really interested in and I had a lot of different conversations with my dad over the years about have you ever heard of anything getting done you know has anyone ever translated the tapes has anyone you know those sorts of questions and you know, long story short, not really a lot was done. There was a few people who did a few things. A couple of people at Black Hill State translated some of the tapes. There was a few things like that, but very little in the grand scheme of things. So, I, you know, I think it was always something my dad wanted to do, but didn't really have a lot of time when he was working and in the state legislature and all those things. And, you know, he kind of wrapped up work and his legislative terms in kind of the late 90s and then really got a little more serious about trying to do something about the collection. How many tapes number? You, you know, know, the actual physical number of tapes, I don't know. I think there's about 300 CDs. There may be a few more tapes than that. And most of them were reel-to-reel. I mean, there's some cassettes in there, but not more than 30 or 40. But I, literally, there was steamer trunks full of those, you know, seven-inch reel-to-reel tapes. So are you happy now with where the CDs are and the tapes are at, and do you feel that they're being fully utilized, or what's the next step would, that you would like to see? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone down at Oglala Lakota College here not too long ago because they were one of the colleges that we gifted a set of the discs to, and Tom Shortbull's an old family friend, and actually his grandfather's one of the people on the tapes, so he's known about the tapes since he was a kid. Um, but anyway, had a conversation with them about it, and they're you know trying to figure out how best to utilize them, even for their own use in, in their internal studies groups. So it's something that I think is still in flux. The more accessible they are, the more easy format they are to access. I think the more they'll get utilized, and, and then it's really a matter of you know promotion, if you will, and that making people aware that they're out there and they're easily accessible to utilize, which has always been a, a big problem. I mean, people knew the tapes existed, especially if they had relatives who were on the tapes, but they didn't really have any idea they could ever go listen to one. Right? And, and now we're starting to get more inquiries about, you know, who has them, what will it take for me to go listen, you know, that kind of thing. Next, next up is probably just a website that you can go in and search the tape you want. What's your favorite tape? Um, I don't know. There's a bunch. One, one of the favorite ones that I think is a story. My grandpa had a radio program called, called Oyate, which actually was done through the University of South Dakota. Um, and on one of those tapes, he actually tells the story about how what's called the, the Lakota Flag Song or Sioux National Anthem um, was written and sung and all of those things in his basement in Rapid City. And so he narrates it and then tells the story and then plays the recording of the first time it was sung and, and some of those as part of that program and, and that one's pretty neat. 
I mean, there's some others. Uh, Dewey Beard, Iron Hill, at the time was the last living, or I think he was the last living survivor of both Little Bighorn and Wounded Knee. And so his, his tapes are great. My Lakota's not quite good enough to, to know the whole story, so I listen to my grandpa's translation more than I listen to the original. But, yeah, fascinating stories. You know. Did your grandfather translate most of the recordings? No. no. And like I said, most of them don't even have an introduction in English to say what they are, which is one of the things that makes this whole process so complicated. Mm-hmm. He, you know, there weren't computers in those days. Um, his note-taking and filing system was literally a piece of scratch paper. Could be a piece that had typewriting on the front side, torn up, scribbled on the back at what, you know, the tape has a counter. So at what counter were various things on a particular reel? Sometimes there might be a sentence or two, sometimes there was only a few words. And he kept that piece of paper in every one of those reel-to-reel boxes. So that was the filing system. Sometimes there's English introductions before they start singing or talking. Sometimes there's not. So, you know, it's tough to catalog them (laughs) and and search them. Uh, That's an understatement. At some of the schools they're at, are they looking at translating some of those as well, which would really be key for everybody to be able to really enjoy? Yeah, it really would be. And I think having some English translations and, you know, a really a little more sophisticated cataloging system would be very good. But it's hard to do without listening to every tape and actually being able to understand them. You know, because a lot of them just don't have enough English in them to really know exactly what's on the tape without being a very fluent Lakota speaker. The other thing that you see is, you know, just much like English, it kind of morphs over time. Lakota does the same thing. So a modern speaker today, even though they would be categorized as fluent in Lakota, probably can't translate verbatim, say, that recording of Dewey Beard, right? I had a cousin who was a very fluent Lakota speaker, and there were several things in there he couldn't make sense of. And, you know, had actually hauled it around to 90-year-old people at Cherry Creek and Red Scaffold and places trying to figure out what a few of the phrases really meant, because to him they were out of context. Yeah. But the words probably had a different meaning then than they do now. Yeah. And what, just, what an amazing story, and, and just looking at the three generations that have kept this moving and at any point in the first, second, or third generation would have been very easy to say enough's enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the passion and the belief that these stories need to be shared is just amazing. Um, What do you think your grandfather would think right now if he was able to look at the state that they're in and the schools they're with? You know, I think he would be happy. You know, the whole point, and and he said this over and over, is I want these to be preserved so people can listen to them and and use them, learn from them. So I think having them distributed as widely as they are now, which still isn't that broadly, but it's much more than it was for 30 years, I think he would be very pleased with that. I know my dad was. Just amazing. What would you like to share that uh, we haven't touched on? That's a good question. I, you know, one of the things I think that's really, really special about the collection is that there's a lot of people from generations ago for a lot of current families. 
So, and, and some of them are aware of those tapes, some of them are not. But to be able to have a resource where they can go back and listen to, you know, their great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather or someone sing a family song or tell a story, I, I think is really priceless. And hopefully through the efforts of the Hall of Fame and the various community colleges, the tribal colleges, that that word can get out there and it's a little easier for people to access those. You know, there's families, Red Cloud family, there's four or five generations of that family singing the same song on those tapes. Things like that that, you know, some of them are aware of. They, that family certainly is. But there's just a lot of people who I think would really enjoy, one, learning from the tapes, but learning and hearing from their own ancestors on the tapes. Yeah, I, I just think, it, again, is amazing that your grandfather, your father, and yourself have taken such pride in these stories and the history because it's so easy to lose things and your father took the time your grandfather took the time to make sure that that did not happen and now we need to really make sure that between the universities and the hall of fame and others we make it very accessible and probably take that next step and see how, how we can get that translation out there so others can understand uh, what great stories there were and what amazing stories yeah. and a huge portion of the tapes are songs you know, uh, probably well over two-thirds are, are actual just songs. And so to be able to translate the words of the songs and what they're from, I mean, a lot of them are, you know, songs from battles that happened clear back in the 1860s and 70s that were passed on, but now a lot of people don't know how to sing those. You know? So, again, being able to translate them and then listen to them um, for any of the current powwow singers would be a huge deal as well. Well, this must be, it has to be one of the world's most comprehensive collections of Lakota language and music as well, because who else would have taken that time that your grandfather started with? And I just think it's amazing that you had the opportunity to go with your grandfather and listen to some of these stories while they were being taped as well. What a, what a great opportunity when you were younger. Well, and the sad thing is, is that, you know, I was 14 when my grandfather died, and so the last maybe three years or four, I really had a much better appreciation for what he had to teach me. Before that, you know, it was more of a novelty. You know, we liked watching him because he had a machine that physically cut records in his basement. And so it was more about, you know, can you make me a record? Or, you know, it didn't really matter what was on the record. It, it was, you know, more of a, you know, we were intrigued by it, but we didn't really understand what he was doing. In those last few years, I certainly did. So, I, I you know, I wish hindsight, but I wish I'd have paid more attention when I was younger, even. But. David, did you ever hear your grandmother complaining about the time and the money that uh, your grandfather was putting into this uh, passion? No, no, and, and you know, it consumed an awful lot of what they had. I mean, it, it really did. They lived in a very tiny house over in North Rapid, and in an unfinished basement that basically one corner was completely full of recording equipment and tapes. And, you know, the amount that he spent and the time and effort that he spent was huge. And I, I think she understood as well, you know, the importance, the, of the importance of what he was doing and why he was doing it. Yeah. She went with him on a lot of those trips, you know, they traveled all over the place and went to powwows and just went to people's homes and visited. And there's also, their house in Rapid City was a stopping point for people. So relatives and friends traveling to and from the reservation, whatever, would stay there 
frequently. I mean, in the summer there was always a teepee and usually a teepee and a cabin tent pitched in the yard and people would stay and so when they would come, they would tell stories a lot of times and my grandfather would record those. Again, sometimes they amounted to something and he actually kept them, sometimes he just erased them and started over, but it was fairly frequent for him, especially when he had someone who was an elder who might actually have something interesting to share or a new song to sing for him or whatever, that he had his tape recorder playing at the house. And again, it just amazing the opportunities that he had, but he took advantage of those opportunities by having the equipment there and ready. Oh, yeah. And in today's environment, a lot of times we ask people to volunteer for different things, but look at the commitment and volunteering in your time, your grandfather's time and his uh, financial wealth that he had to just reinvest in all of those things, mm -hmm. the recorders, the, the tapes. Uh, it, it's, again, amazing what he did to preserve these things. Well, David, thank you very much. I appreciate you it. Incredible, yeah, thank you. incredible stories. Now we need the thank people you. to be able to listen to some of these great stories that are out there as well. That's great. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.